0: It's good to be in church Sunday morning, isn't it? Um, hey, if you're here for the first time, some of you weren't sure about how to respond to that. You're like, I think it's good to be here. You're grateful to be in God's house today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We are genuinely and sincerely glad that you're with us today. And those who are also online, welcome. And as always, our fam at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show them some love. Family clap for them. Grateful for them. How have we been doing carrying out the the mission and the message of Jesus mark sixteen fifteen Jesus says, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation um, I, I think it 's crazy every time we talk about evangelism, I, I say a short prayer for those who are uh, gas attendants down at this Wawa um, because they get uh, invited to church about seven hundred times on the Sunday we talk about uh, that's good. That means you're you're doing what you should do. We should just branch out beyond that Wawa down there. Don't stop evangelizing to the Wawa, but let's just go to you know other places as well, the shop rates and whatnot. Uh, you know, one of the things I I realize about uh, talking to people about Jesus, have you noticed when you start to share your faith with people? They immediately can respond and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, what I've been meaning to go back. I, I need to go back to church. I need to start doing, you know, doing that. I need to start doing those things." And I've always found it fascinating that when you talk to people about your faith, they immediately connected to doing things for God. Isn't it interesting? It, 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 you say, "Hey, you know what? Yeah, I, I should start going start, start going to church. That's why I need to do that. I need to start going uh, to church again. I, I, that w- would be a good habit for me uh, to form." And while I wouldn't argue with the formation of the habit, I would argue with the motivation of it. Now this is the cool thing about God. God can use all things, meaning he can use, um, when, when, when we started as a church and we were meeting at JMT, Pastor Kyle remembers this, um, the word started to spread that there's a lot of young people in our church so we could always tell when there were young guys who would come to the church um, with no other intention than to find some young ladies who love Jesus. And, um, and so we would always be, they'd, they'd walk in and they'd be lo- walking around and, and uh, looking where to sit on, you know, in a Sunday night service and and um, uh, Pastor Kyle would always find them saying, hey, how are you doing? What are you here for? And every once in a while, they'd accidentally slip and say, we're, we're just looking for like a date, you know. <laughs> and, um, but God will use that, even if it's an impure motivation to be in church. The Holy Spirit can get a hold of your heart, and your life will never be the same. When we're sharing our faith with other people who are far from God, don't be upset or don't be frustrated. If they convey to you they need to do things for God. We know we're not compelled to do things for God, but rather we've received the message of hope and love and salvation from Jesus. We're not guilted into being in church on Sunday. Um, If you are, I wanted to set you free from that. That's not why we gather together. It is a privilege, not an obligation to be here on Sunday morning. We don't attempt to earn his love. We're responding to it. Um, This is a powerful thing for us as followers of Jesus, and as you start to share your faith with other people, um, you'll become more uh, aware of the language that they're using. I want to remind some of you, some of you take full advantage of this, and I just want to make sure everyone in our family knows, but as you leave, our team loads those little, I don't know what you would call them, but they're they're hanging by the exit doors every Sunday, and our team always makes sure that they're full, Um, and they're just simple invite cards, and... This doesn't replace you um, using your words (laughs) and moving your mouth and stepping out um, and telling someone about about Jesus. But it is a powerful thing for them to put in their wallet, put in their pocket. And later on, um, it'll be a seed planted for them to be able to maybe join us for the first time online, and we pray that that'll move them into being with us on a Sunday morning. So make sure that you grab some of them. Um, And in addition, I know some of you have been asking a lot of questions about Growth Track. It starts next week is Growth Track Class 1, Um, and today we have baptisms, which we're excited about. And so if you want to stick around um, after our third service to encourage those who are taking their step of faith um, in baptism, you are free to do that. There's always, um, it's always a powerful moment. It's like everything else slows down and you get to focus and listen to someone's personal testimony and how Jesus brought them from where they were, whether it was lost, broken, frustrated, lonely, whatever it is, and how God has healed them to the place, not done yet, but how God has brought them to a place of salvation in Jesus. And to hear people's stories, um, it'll mess you up. In a good way, so you're welcome to join us um, today with that. But how many of you, if I were to ask by the show of hands, how many of you are thinkers? You're analytical. You process everything. If someone shares something with you, you go, "Nah, not gonna believe it." And they're like, "No, nope, I heard it on Fox News." You're like, "I don't care." They're like, "No, CNN said it too." And you're like, "I don't care. I'm going to Google it," you know, or whatever. Like that's going to give you the answer. And um, but some of us, our our primary function is is up in the the dome. We we're thinkers. We're researchers. We we always and you might say are always critical, but they're analytical. They like to process things. And um, research shows that about thirty percent of us are, are wired that way. We're wired that way. We we process a lot of things up here before anything else. Um, we're thinkers. The next are the the, the hands, the doers. Um, the, these are the people in the group who look around at everyone else and like is. Everyone is lazy. No one does anything. We're the people that do everything. We're doing this. We're doing that. These are the people at the parties. They're serving. They're cooking. They're doing everything, and they're looking at everyone else like, what are you doing? You know, they're doers. They love to do things. They love to serve. They love, and not everyone is that critical when they're serving, but they love to serve. Why, why aren't they not critical? It's because they're wired that way. They just want to serve. Whether they're told to do it or not, they're just going to serve, and and about thirty percent of us are wired that way. We we are wired to do things. And uh, the the last uh, group made up, makes up about forty percent. Uh, that adds thirty, forty yeah, percent um, of the group. And th- that's hard. The, th- this group of people they're the compassion people. They're like they walk into an environment. And they're having a conversation with someone. They're compelled and motivated not only through compassion but empathy towards other people. And um, I'm saying that to you because some of you, 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 in conversation, when you when you start a conversation with someone, um, you're excited at first, and then you realize, like, hey, this person operates out of the head, and I'm. I'm primarily out of the heart, and, and it can be intimidating. It, it can. It, it can throw you for a loop. You can kind of get like, whoop, I need to get out of this conversation um, very quickly, or I need to be like, you need to talk to this guy, Dr. John Mannion. He's in my church. Please come and talk to him. You know, I, I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to get overwhelmed. For many of us, it's not about necessarily landing a plane in conversation. Um, you need to be more retrospective in your own spiritual journey and say, no, no, uh, god saved me from where I was, but i 've been in a journey of faith. I am saved spiritually I am fully redeemed because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, but He has put me in this process of sanctification where my mind is constantly being renewed through the hearing of god 's word um, and my and my my soul like my emotions all of that it 's being renewed. Um, and you'll have more grace in your time sharing your faith with other people. I always tell people, you don't need to land the plane. It's, it's, for many of us, you need to think of it in the, in the sense of, I'm building a bridge. I'm just building a bridge. Some of you, you've worked with people your entire life, and you're like, I literally have talked to this person for over a decade about Jesus. And you could be discouraged in that. You could be frustrated in it. Um, I, I, last week at our staff meeting, there were about four or five individuals who said, you know, I just feel like the Holy Spirit has been telling me, and they all told me this individually, that not to give up on this person I've been praying for for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 14 years. And I just feel like I need to share that with some of you. Some of you probably have probably been praying for people for a very long time. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to know don't give up. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop believing for their salvation, for their healing. For, for them being set free, keep praying for them. Um, I, I know sometimes in the frustration of feeling like you're communicating with people that you have no ability to communicate with, you can easily dismiss the message you carry. And I, I want you to know something. Um, the message you carry is what's powerful. Some of you, you think like, well, I, I can't present things that way. I'm not like articulate. I don't have the words. I don't have, no, no, no. It's the message of Jesus that carries the power. That's the power. That holds the substance. And have the sense of conviction in what you carry, not in your ability to make what you carry look good. Does it make sense? Some of us, we, we put our, our hope in, and our confidence in a conversation not in the fact that we, we know Jesus. It's we put in our heads, well, I don't know if I can articulate this well or say this. Let me give you an example. Uh, several years ago, I, was, I had the privilege to go to Europe and speak at several churches and... and um, I was speaking in London, which was an incredible opportunity for me, and I remember speaking, and then the pastor at the end of the one service said, hey, next Sunday, I'd love you to speak at another location. I was like, ah, that's fantastic. And, and I didn't really ask where it was until later on, and, and I found out that it was um, at Oxford University. I said, well, you mean near there, right? And they're like, no, it's actually on the campus. I'm like, ah, okay. Don't feel intimidated at all, you know? And, and I remember... I remember um, Going into the auditorium and worship, praise and worship, was just like ours. It was powerful. And, and I remember getting up to, to speak, and I had prepared a message. that was kind of something that I spoke a few weeks before, but it was different. And, um, and I remember getting up, and as soon as I came up behind the, the, the platform, I gave a little moment of introduction of where I was from and my family. And I noticed something, though. Everyone had a really, really thick Bible, about this thick, you know, whether it was the NASB or the ESV, whatever it was, and they had a pen and a notebook, and they were just like this. And I remember thinking like, whoa. Um, and then I looked at my notes, and I looked at them, I looked at my notes, I looked at them, and I'm like, I have four examples of sports analogies that I'm going to share. And, and I didn't say that out loud, but I'm just thinking like, I'm in big trouble, you know, and I remember kind of like being funny. I was like, hey, you know, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you like love sport? And I kid you not, when I said that, there was like one person in the back and they're like, oh, me. And I remember thinking like, oh, crap. Okay, um, uh, praise God. <laughs> You're going to get a sports analogy today. You know, I, I felt so inadequate. And I remember in that moment, almost like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I, I've never asked you To bring something so that you're liked, you're perceived clever, you're perceived as intellectual, you're perceived as, you know, quick on your feet. No, no, I've given you the message of hope. I've given you this, this, this gospel, this good news, so that you carry it before other people and allow them to have the same level of conviction you have. Now, the question would be before that is, what level of conviction do you carry the gospel with? Now, this is hard because each one of us, we're the only ones we, that can answer that. Parents can't answer it for you. Grandparents can't answer it. The only one that can answer it is you. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, I'm passionate about the message of Jesus. And that's what I'm going to share with you, the message of Jesus. And I might give you some analogies they may make no sense to you, and forgive me for doing that, but, but I'm passionate about walking with Jesus. I want you to be passionate as well. And for many of us, it's not a question of. My, my son, his first year in wrestling, he would come back from practice, and he said, "Uh, he'd be like, they taught us to do this," and he was like doing his stance. I'm like, "Well, what is that?" I don't know, but they told me to do this. I'm like, "Well, you you don't know what do you mean? You don't know." He's like, "They also told me to do this," and he'd show me a move, and I was like, "Well, what is that move?" He's like, "I don't know." Like, okay, you know, and. And I was getting a little discouraged. And then after a while, I realized, like, he knew he knew the move. He didn't know the name of it, but he knew it. He was excited about it. He was passionate about it. And, and I was just watching from a distance saying, hey, this is, <laughs> it's interesting for many of us. We're like, we want to be good at something, but we don't want to stink at it either. But the problem is, is you'll never be good at it if you just, if you don't start doing it. And for some of you, I, I don't know how else to say this. Maybe it's like a sports trainer type thing or like a coach. It's like. You gotta suck it up. You gotta recognize what you've received. You gotta have the confidence and the conviction of recognizing what you've been given and carry it into a conversation with someone else. And I'm telling you, the more you do it, the more equipped you'll be to share the message of hope with other people it's this powerful thing and some of you're like, "Well, I don't know. No, I'm telling you, this week, let, can we can we do just like a little challenge? How many of you are up for like little challenges, you know? Little challenges, not it's not a big one. Some all the extroverts are clapping. The, the introverts are like, "Shut up." You know, okay. This is it. Find someone in your world or maybe they don't need to be in your world. Maybe find someone to share your faith with, okay? Just find someone. And I'm telling you, the more you do it, the more confident you'll be to share your faith and your testimony with other people. You're like, I don't know what to say. Your story is enough. Your story's enough. Start with your story. Share that with other people. I shared last week about the powerful impact that my parents' life had on my life. When I was in college, I was was kind of in this you know when your kids kind of get to an age and like they just need to find themselves, you know? Like, I don't know what that means, but they're in this space of trying to figure out like, okay, I'm not told to go to school anymore. I have to figure things out for myself. And, and I remember that period of time, it was like the only thing that I could look back on with certainty was this. Was this. My parents, unapologetically, with a deep, deep conviction Believe in God, love God, honor God, and trust in God. And that's what I look back on. I saw that and it was like, that messed me up in a good way to put me in this direction towards seeking after the things of God. Because that which they had a deep conviction of, they walked it out. They walked it out. And and so for many of us, I know many of you have a deep conviction for the Lord. Start walking it out so that other people see the evidence of it. In a way that you share your faith with other people, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17 this morning, and we're going to talk about Paul's um, arrival into the city of Athens. Paul um, arrives into Athens about 400 years after the time of Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. I don't know who those people are, but they're important people. And, And he arrives back in this place in Athens, and it was. For all intents and purposes, it was the educational headquarters of the world. It would precede what ultimately probably Oxford um, would become in the 19th century, maybe even before that, where it was the gathering of minds. It was where everyone who was educated and was a high-level thinker would gather. And Paul arrives there coming from another city, and it begins in Acts 17, verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, speaking of Timothy and Silas, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, that the city was full of idols. Um, Paul's waiting, and maybe, do you remember if we back up a little bit, Paul had this powerful uh, domestic road experience where he encountered God. He was blind. God sent someone to heal his eyes, and he had this, Powerful turnaround from going to persecuting the church, standing before and presiding over the execution and stoning of Stephen, who was the first martyr of the New Testament church, to becoming one of the most radical proclaimers of the gospel and church builders throughout history. And, and, and Paul is walking from one city into Athens, and it was about a 200-mile, I believe, south from where he was coming from, um, and now he's waiting for Timothy and Silas, and he noticed something. He noticed that there are so many idols around. Now, uh, there were writings in, in some commentary I was reading that there was an individual who would arrive about 50 years after Paul was there, and he said the population of the time period was around 10,000, and there were over 30,000 statues of, of gods lining the streets throughout Athens. So there were literally more gods in the city than there were people. And Paul arrives there at this place and he's looking around and he's thinking, man, there are, <laughs> there are false God after false God after false God. And the scripture says that he became greatly distressed. Another translation would say that his spirit was provoked. His spirit was provoked. Have you felt in your, in, even in the last few years, where just your spirit is provoked? We're living in a time period where everything that God ordains and speak of, speaks of is being contested whether it's in the aspect of marriage, the value of the unborn life, whether it's in the idea of gender, all of these things have been contested, which God declares. And it can provoke your spirit. It can cause you to become almost in a way to have a sense of righteous anger, to say, no, this isn't good, not because you're angry at the person, but at an adversary or an enemy that is falsely promising something that they'll never deliver on. And you know that the truth will set them free, but they are being denied the ability to walk in the truth because no one's proclaiming it to them. No one's telling them about Jesus. No one's bringing the message of hope. And so Paul's greatly distressed by this. But I, I want you to glean how Paul, um, I'm not an expert at, at um, dealing with other people when I'm angry. You may be, I don't know, but um, some of you, you have certain buttons and if people push them, it's like, all right, get away from them. Okay, they're getting ready to, to lose it. Just give them some space, you know. And Paul walks into the city and he's provoked. He's greatly distressed, as the scripture says. And I think it's interesting to note that if you or I ever become so comfortable with sin, we'll never be distressed. But if we also become overwhelmed by the sin, we'll never be effective in reaching it. Paul is greatly distressed by it, but he's not overwhelmed by it. He doesn't begin to complain about it. He rather sets a plan in motion to advance the gospel in a fallen environment. So think about where you are. Where does God have you placed in your world? And some of you are like, I have to get out of this place. And you're like, why? I'm the only Christian. I was like, say that again, but say it very slow. You know, I'm the only Christian. I'm the light of the world. <laughs> I'm supposed to be there. Now, that doesn't always mean the case, but sometimes when God places you in a place and you're the only Christian, he could have you there for a reason. Not to save everybody. What a privilege it would be if you did. But if not, maybe to build a bridge so that they can eventually come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The verse continues in verse 17, and it says, so he reasoned, he reasoned, he's speaking to the head, He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace, listen, day by day. Not once a month, not once a year, not once a week. Day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul just, his plan was this. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be faithful and show up in the marketplace. I'm going to be faithful and show up in the synagogue. And I'm going to declare the message of hope that's found in Jesus Christ. He did it faithfully. He had a long-term investment plan to say, I don't need to see a change today or tomorrow, but I believe that if I, that if I use wisdom and I am used as a vessel before God, that I'll bring the message of hope and those who need to hear it will respond to it and they'll be saved. Verse 18 continues and it says this, A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them ask, What is this babbler trying to say to us? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, I found it interesting, um, Paul finally gets to a place where he's consistently sharing the same message, and the group around him says, um, who, what is this babbler saying? Um, the other day, I had my phone on the counter, and um, I don't know, someone texted me and said, hey, bro, on my phone, and... Um, and I, well, I don't use that language. I'm not like, well, I've never heard that. And my daughter sees it. And she's like, oh, dad, did someone say bro to you on your phone? <laughs> and I'm like, did, is that, that's not cool anymore? She's like, so embarrassing, dad. Like, they probably shouldn't be your friend. I'm like, okay, apparently we're not in the same generation. I knew that, but it's like the words we use, not appropriate. This is interesting because this word babbler is almost like it was an inside word. That they would use in their context. You, you, have you ever been in a conversation and you start saying stuff and you almost feel like people are looking at you like, yeah, this guy's an idiot. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, this is what, what they're saying. They're standing in the midst of Paul using a word that, what, that they use in their context. Commentaries would say that this word babbler actually would mean seed picker. It was an expression to say that the person who's speaking is not bringing their own ideas. They've picked ideas and philosophies from other environments and they're presenting them as their own, but they're not. They're borrowed ideas. Matter of fact, they're saying to Paul in front of his face, although Paul doesn't know it because it's a word they use inside, that he's a plagiarist. He's plagiarizing. This is not a new idea. And Paul is not dumb. He probably understood that he was being mocked in front of the people that he was sharing with, but he restrains himself. He's not offended. And this, is, this might be the most significant thing that I see Paul do in this. And you're like, really? Yes, because when someone takes a shot at your character, they take a dig at who you are and make things really personal, how do you react? When you attempt to deliver the message of Jesus. I think that conveys more than anything else. Can you stand in a group of people who are laughing at you and still have enough courage to say, I, my hope is in Jesus and I wanna tell you about him. I want to tell you the message of Jesus. I want to tell you why you should care about the story of Jesus Christ. And Paul does. He stands there. Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting in the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? Are you bringing some strange ideas to our ears? And we You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, they said, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul's consistency built enough bridges to get him in front of certain people that offered him the opportunity to stand in front of The Areopagus. Some people say the Areopagus. However, you want to pronounce it. We went over this last week with names, but um, this would be the most premier educational, philosophical, theological review board in the world. Someone extended Paul the opportunity to, "Why don't you bring that idea before this council?" And so Paul responds. Now, I have to tell you something. It's interesting to me that the scriptures record he went day after day and carried the message of hope to who? Whoever was there. Whoever was there. He could have walked in the city and said, I don't want to speak with anyone until I get to talk to the, you know, at the Areopagus. I want to stand before all the intellectuals in the room. He didn't do that. He he went to the marketplace and to the synagogue, and whoever was present, he shared the message of hope. I'm telling you, it builds bridges, and the Holy Spirit will navigate you and give you opportunities to get you before people you may never thought you'd get before. And the same thing happens with Paul. So they bring him before this place, and he's getting ready to present his ideas, but Paul's not oblivious to the, to the room he's speaking to like I was when I was preaching at Oxford. I, uh, hindsight, I would have used um, different analogies. Um, and I would have taken a different approach, um, not to be viewed differently. And someone recently asked me, like, you know, what do you really desire when you communicate? And I said, well, at the end of the day, I remember when I first started preaching. It's like I was always trying to find my voice. I was listening to every preacher in the world, and I, I still listen to so many preachers. Always trying to find my my voice by listening to other people. And when, the more I listen to other people, sometimes the more inferior and intimidated and less confident, I felt. I remember looking at people and saying, well, I'm not like them, I'm not like them, I'm not like them, and then it, like, it hits you. You're like, well, you're not like them because you're not them. You gotta be yourself. And, and some of you, you've been chasing to be someone else, but God's like, I don't really want you to be anyone else. I wired you the way I wired you so that you could be you and operate in that. The greatest and the most powerful evangelist is the person that God wired you to be. Don't try to be like anyone else. Just be you. Be you. Carry the message of hope differently. And some of you, don't be critical of how other people carry it. And there's some people that can walk into an environment that no one else could walk into and and lead people to Jesus. And, and, And so each one of us has a unique gifting from God. And that enables us to carry the message of hope in a unique way. Paul wasn't oblivious to it. He, he recognized that, man, I'm going to stand before the Epicureans. I'm going to stand before the, the Stoic philosophers. And they're very different in their belief systems. Very, very different. Um, the Epicureans were, were unique people. They could be described as practical agnostics. They, they believed that there was a God, right? But they believed he's completely detached from, from, from life, and everything happens just out of coincidence. So there's no like divine interactions with things. And the, the best part about the Epicureans is they believe the greatest pinnacle or the end of man is pleasure. So pleasure is the end or the, the best aspect of a life to pursue, the aspect of pleasure. And the other side of the philosophical belief system was the Stoics. Now they were atheists, they believed that everything was a God, everything. Oh, a tree, God, rock, God. Everything was a God. And and they were interesting because what motivated them, their theology motivated them to a place of apathy. They're kind of like, well, if it happens, it's supposed to happen. So be it. And they were real apathetic. And so Paul knows, standing before these two predominant philosophical, theological ideas that he needed to... Present the gospel that would speak directly to both of these areas of thought. In verse 22, this is what it says. It says, Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. You see how good he is. He's just building this, this immediate bridge. He's saying, I see that you're very religious. You have more statues in Athens than you do people. You know, and, and he is. He's genuinely being complimentary. He's building a bridge. And then he says, but I've also been studious enough and attentive enough to walk around and I've noticed something. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God, to an unknown God. Do you remember um, a few verses before they were making fun of Paul? Um, and they were saying, what is this babbler trying to say to us? And and I don't know if if Paul's intentionally trying to kind of let him know that he can play the same game with him. But Paul's letting him know, like, hey, I know you think this is the supreme environment of knowledge on planet Earth. You, you, We're in Athens, I mean, you are supposed to be the pinnacle of knowledge here. Yet you have a very inscription on something that says, to the unknown God. It's fascinating because that word is translated, or the translation of that word unknown. We find our root word in that from agnosticism, which literally means without knowledge. Paul says, you're so smart, you have a God and you don't even know who he is. It's like Paul's kind of taking a little bit of like a backhand to him. I'm like, wow, Paul, is pretty aggressive. But then he goes right to it. And he says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. He says, you have so many gods, you don't even know who you're worshiping. You've placed so many people in front of you, you don't even have one God to which you worship. And he says, and this, this is why I'm going to, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's speaking to the aspect of them thinking God is so distant. He's so transcendent. God is not in our world. He doesn't care intimately about us. He doesn't walk with us. Paul's saying he does. He does. He's not, a, he's not an absent God, but he also is not a God that dwells in objects built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I can almost see like Paul's sharing this in front of those Stoic philosophers who are very apathetic and kind of just resting on their laurels and sitting back and just desiring to learn things. And Paul's like, no, 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 you can seek God. And if you seek him, you'll find him. God wants you to run after him. He wants you to pursue him. And if you pursue him, you're going to find him. And, and sometimes in our world, in our journey of faith, we can become apathetic. You say, well, I've gone to church. I read my devotional and that's it. But I find that God wants us to constantly be dwelling upon not only his presence in our life and be aware of his presence but on his nature and who he is. How good he is. How loving he is. How caring he is for us. Paul carried that spirit into this conversation. (laughs) Paul continues in verse 28 and this this is pretty interesting. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you recognize that you do have common ground? And I think this is always hilarious when you talk with some people and you're like, wow, you and I could be further apart. <laughs> I'm nothing like you. And then they say something and you're like, oh, wow. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and I was thinking that. which was just fine. That happens. We're all wired differently. And they said something about racing and um, like uh, uh, racing cars. And like, I kind of like, now if you don't know this about me, I grew up like uh, in like race cars. I'd always go to ACO Raceway. Do any of you know any of that? Some of you don't care. This is kind of like sharing sports at uh, Oxford. And um, um. I remember hearing him talk about cars. I was like, oh, you're, you're into cars? You know, and all of a sudden I had this new, the guy who I'm thinking like, yeah, we're just not alike. All of a sudden he became my best friend. And it's interesting. When you find common ground, you can think someone's so far from you. Then all of a sudden you're like, wow. And can I tell you something? Sometimes a common ground is not ground you want to be related by. I lost a spouse. Did you lose a spouse? I lost a loved one. Did you lose a loved one? Hey, I had a traumatic event. Hey, I, I dealt with cancer in my past. I dealt with it. And all of a sudden, God uses common ground to share our testimony of faith. And so, so Paul's saying something in verse 28. He says, He says, and he quotes a poet of their time. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. And therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands that all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to every single person, under heaven, how? By the raising of him from the dead. Paul saying, there was a point in time when you could be ignorant that time is gone. Why? Because you will be judged at a final hour, at a certain time in your life, and that judgment will bring about whether or not you've repented of your sins and turned from your ways and humbled yourself and received salvation that comes through the finished work of Jesus. And so Paul's not he's not he's not worried about the reaction to it why because he knows that when he brings it it's the only thing that'll set him free. It's the only thing that'll set any of us free. It's the only thing that'll ever allow us to find freedom and hope and prosperity in our life today. And when I say prosperity I'm not talking about material wealth. I'm talking about prosperity in your in your soul, in your mind, in your heart. And I believe God wants us to prosper with earthly riches, but he'll never give it to you if you don't have the wisdom and the work ethic to hold it well. The scriptures teach us that if, and God looks at it this way, he says, if you aren't going to steward mere earthly riches, then why would I give you true riches? He doesn't view the wealth of this world as something to be in awe of. (laughs) He doesn't. No, he views the message of Jesus, this message from heaven, that we've received, the hope and the peace and the joy and the salvation that we can find in Christ. That's the real riches. And he expects us to carry it well, to steward the message of hope well. I keep saying the message of hope. Do you know what? There are so many people in your world and my world that are hopeless. They turn on the news every night. They're stuck to it. They watch as the world is going like this and they follow right along. They feel like if something happens in the next 100 days or 60 days or 30 days, and this is going to happen and this is going to happen, and what if and what if and what if? No. And I'm so grateful that my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've submitted to the authority of God. We'll fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We know that with Christ, our best days are still ahead that He is the author of our future, that He formed each one of us, that He knows us by name, that He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a future and a hope. And these are the promises of heaven for you. But you choose what you'll fix your eyes on. This is the balance of the sovereignty of God and the nature of our free will. God gives us all that we need, and then He says, you choose what you're going to, what you're going to, what you're going to live on. You're going to edify your soul. Or are you going to consume everything from the world? And if you edify your soul with the word of God and you renew your mind according to the word of God, the message of Jesus that you carry, man, you'll be locked and loaded, ready to share with the first person that comes to you. Sensitive to where they are, finding common ground. But having conviction in the message you have. Not conviction on whether or not they receive it. Conviction on what Jesus brings to a lost and hopeless world. Paul continues and it closes this way. That when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered. And others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus. And also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. Paul was mocked, ridiculed, made fun of. He had delay, but he eventually stood before people that were willing to hear the message of Jesus. And the result, some believed and said yes. I want to pray with with you before we go. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Before we go, I want to talk to some of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You might not even know what that means. The Bible says that there's something in your life that separates you from God. It's sin. And sin is not exclusive to you. Matter of fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin in your eyes might not be that significant, but let me tell you how significant it is to God. It's so significant to God that he had to devise a plan to reconcile you. Reconcile means to bring at peace again, to redeem you, to purchase you back, to justify you in a position as just as if you've never sinned before. And how does he do that? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, who is this one and only son? It's Jesus Christ. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but rather to save it. I talk to people often and they say, I don't know if I can serve a God who condemns people. And I quickly remind him that we already stand condemned before him. He doesn't condemn us. We've already condemned ourselves. God devises a plan to redeem us and to save us. Paul would write later in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you shall be saved. By grace, through faith one receives salvation not by works so that anyone could boast it's not through money not through good deeds or works no my friend the Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards you that while you were still a sinner Christ died for you so if you're here today and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus to confess him as Lord to ask for forgiveness of your sins the Bible says he is faithful to to respond to your call and forgive you of your sins so right now we're going to say a prayer You're not going to say it by yourself. We're all going to say it as a spiritual family. But repeat this prayer after me. Come on, True North. Help me lead people right now. Repeat this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross and defeated sin in the grave. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, True North, clap for everybody that said that. Hey, before you stand up, before you stand up, if you said yes to Jesus, listen, when you leave today, you're going to see people in the lobby waving this New Testament, New Testament Bible. It's a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to stop and let someone know that you said yes to Jesus. We want to help you in your journey of faith. I know you might be like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I understand that. But we want to give you a chance to say before men that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And so make sure you stop and see someone when you go. For everyone else, if you need prayer, don't forget, as you exit to your left, there's an area called the Next Step space. And our team is ready um, to pray with you for any need that you have. Will you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you before we go today. Will you stretch your hands to heaven? Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are so constant with us in our lives. We thank you for your patience, your kindness. Father, we ask this week that as we step into these encounters that we're going to have, Father God, we ask that you would make us aware of the conversation that you've brought us into. Holy Spirit, make us aware of the conversation so that we can be attentive in it, that we don't try to rush through it, that we don't approach it flippantly, that we don't Look at it as casual, that we carry this message of hope with sincere conviction and that you use us. God, we don't need to be Jesus in conversations, but let us be used by him to bring a relationship with Jesus into into their lives. Father, I thank you that you're with us in our marriages and in our homes. Protect our marriages, strengthen them, protect our children. Father, we pray for our city, for our state and for our nation. Lord God, we need you desperately. And Father, I know as through the course of history and the course of time, you choose us to be the hands and feet of your message. And Father, give us wisdom to carry it out well. Go with us as we go today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray in a faithful church said, amen. God bless, family. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I hope the message was encouraging to you. I hope it was challenging to you. I just pray that it... It edified you in the season that you find yourself in. One of our uh, one of our core values here at True North is we believe that we're made to move, and and when we say that, I know sometimes people are confused by that. They're like, well, what does that mean, move? And and we don't believe it's irrelevant or just random movement. We believe that it is intentional movement um, in your personal walk with Jesus. We believe that that movement is is directed and guided right to the person of Jesus, and we've we've build and design not only our church website, but our church app around the, the intention and the heart to help equip you and resource you on that journey with Jesus. So I pray that you take the time to look at our website, look at our app, and maybe you'll be encouraged through Care Plus or some of the devotionals that are available to you or past messages that are available to you. Share it with other people as it's our intention to resource people in their personal journey with Jesus.